and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we're talking about fungicide and insecticide applications in corn and soybeans. For a lot of farmers, they're kind of finishing up on this, but want to talk about what's still going on in the field and if there's still time to make a difference for your crop. We'll be taking your calls and questions throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. And you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Right, Brian, uh, fungicide and insecticide applications in corn and beans. Certainly this year, our farm, uh, we've had plenty of bugs. We've definitely been out there trying to protect our crop from disease and and try to preserve plant health through a tough growing season. This has been a big topic on our farm for sure. Yeah, it has. It's just been a little different this year. But, I mean, that's also kind of the same. Every year seems to be different. And we were so dry for so long and we were way more, or I should say way less humid than normal in June. So that's why I wasn't super worried about disease this year compared to the last few years and especially back to 2018 and 2019 when we were getting just unbelievable amounts of rain. So we did spray everything, corn and beans, with fungicide, sprayed insecticide, we sprayed miticide on a lot of stuff. But we're getting real late now. I mean, we have corn that is just, well, it's going to be denting in not very long. So we were talking about this yesterday on our farm. Like, uh, if our corn's going to be denting soon, I don't, I don't see the value in spraying fungicide and insecticide now. But if, let's say, your corn just tasseled in late July or something and you're just a brown silk now, whatever, I get it. Uh, that's a different situation. And if, let's say, you've been getting a bunch of rain in your area and fog and lots of humidity and things like that, yeah, I, I totally understand. And with soybeans, it's the same kind of thing. If I had super early maturing beans, I might be starting to wrap things up, but we don't. Our beans are still grass green. We've got a ways to go yet before they're going to start in senescence, maybe even as much as a month. Well, I want to protect those things. And data in the past has shown if you don't take care of insects and mites and diseases until at least mid-August in our area, you're probably going to suffer a good yield penalty. So we are going to spray our beans one last time here, either yet this week or the first of next week. Uh, don't have a lot of mites or bugs out there right now just because we've already sprayed. But, uh, but disease, yeah, we're definitely doing something on that. Well, there are a lot of things going on in fields, and it's easy when we talk about insects that clip pods off or insects that uh, chew through your ear of corn, those kinds of things. Boy, everybody would agree it doesn't take many of those to make a huge impact on yield. But it's right. the it's but, the leaf-feeding so ones, those kinds that. of things. Yeah, but let's talk about that just a second there. You talked about things going in that ear. Let's take corn earworms. Okay, once it gets down into that husk, um, are you really going to be able to kill it with an insecticide effectively? Probably not. And so corn earworm is one of the tougher insects to go spray for. You'd have to get the timing just right. That's hard to do. So that's why usually insecticides, we figure a low percentage of kill with something like corn earworm. So I would argue I'm not even super excited about that. But you mentioned pod clipping on soybeans, well, then I'm worried. If it's grasshoppers, especially if it's bean leaf beetles late in the season, 
and they are starting to cut pods off. Uh, well, now I got a real problem, and I can add the numbers very quickly and say, all right, uh, this may or may not be worth treating. Let me throw out one other thing, because I was just talking to an agronomist yesterday who was all worked up because he couldn't get one certain fungicide, and it was this uh, premix of stuff. And I go, wait, why, why do you need that? I mean, what we're late in the season now. You don't have to have tremendous amounts of residual anymore. You're trying to kill a few aphids. Go kill them cheap. It costs $2 to kill aphids. And I said, sure, in some areas they're having some resistance issues with aphids. Not a lot, but some. But I said, your area? I have yet to see any resistant aphids. And you can go spend $2 on insecticide. You don't have to spend 10 or 12 If you want to do that, fine. But I'm just trying to say... Things are different today than they would have been three weeks ago. Three weeks ago, I want more residual. Three weeks ago, I'm more concerned about spider mites and flare-ups. Uh, today, I'm not as worried because we're because we're getting to the end of the season. Well, there there are a lot of tough decisions as you get towards the end. It's hard to know what is exactly the right thing to do. You often have to play the odds versus what's, what's worked in the past. Right. And, and that's what we're trying to do too. And, and here's the other thing that I almost always will tell people. I'm like, okay, you've got two conflicting ideas, two agronomists talking. I'm telling you to do something else or another guy's telling you to do something else. I'm like, well, why don't you just both and let's prove it. Well, you're exactly right. Why not try both ways? And, you know, even here we're talking about, is it worth it to treat what, whatever it is for aphids or for certain diseases, that types of type of thing? Is it, is it worth one more shot in the crop? You can certainly split fields. You can leave check strips, those types of things to be able to, to tell, Hey, did it make a difference on my farm? I would caution you on this though, too. It seems like the wind blows almost every day and product does move. And if you're watching the the spray from your sprayer and you're out in the middle of the field and say, well, it's probably moving over a few rows uh, that can throw your trials off. So make sure you leave some good blocks to be able to do that and, and try to be out there on days where there's as little wind as possible. If you're going to do some check strips just to see if there truly is a difference. But when we talk about putting on fungicide or insecticide or both in corn and soybeans, there are certainly still those applications happening out there on the farm. We'll talk about some of the products that guys are using, some of the things that they're they're concerned about and the reason they're, in a lot of cases, just putting some insurance out there like with the fungicide. You're going to put a fungicide out thinking there could be disease that comes later. I want to make sure I prevent that. So you're just spending and investing some money, I should say, in uh, protection or insurance up front. So we'll talk about fungicides, insecticides, and some of the pests that are out in fields. We'll take your calls and questions too at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. 
control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about fungicide and insecticide applications in corn and soybeans. And if you're thinking, boy, it sounds a little bit late to be talking about that, I've already gotten things done. One of the lessons we've learned on our farm is you can't give up on your crop too early. You have to protect that crop, at least when you can still determine yield. If you're to the point where the soybeans are turning brown and you've got something that wants to chew on a leaf, who cares? It's too late. It's not going to amount to anything. But when you've got pod clipping going on out there, when you've got an insect chewing through the ear on your corn, or when you've got tough diseases like tar spot or white mold that are in your area, protecting that crop as long as possible while it's still trying to put yield on is really important. So that's our topic today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. Start off with Kurt Martins with BASF to talk about fungicide and insecticide for corn and soybeans. Kurt, how are you doing? Hey, we're doing really good today. You know, a lot of times, let's, let's just start with corn here. And a lot of times folks will say, well, I'm targeting a a fungicide application around tassel time. Well, we're past tassel now in a lot of fields, but we've got a ways to go yet on this corn crop in some areas. What are you seeing out in the cornfields? Talk to us about plant health a little bit and any potential needs we may have. Yeah, so right now, most of our crops, R3, the R4 in a lot of places in regards to corn, still getting a few questions about some fungicide applications, especially in the areas that have been getting a little bit more rain. We're starting to see more tar spot come in. Uh, we are getting to the kind of the end there. R4 is usually when I cut off, but I've seen some nice responses out of a fungicide application uh, at R4. So if, if it's looking like you got a good crop, you know, I'll still, you know, scout, 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 take a look. What's your yield potential? Is the disease moving in? Are you going to get rain? Is it coming? You know, in a lot of those places, things are saying, yeah, so we are still making those applications. And then on top of it, we do have some places that are, have been really wet. Uh, tar spot came in earlier. Um, some folks have been talking about a second application. 
I'm still on the fence about that second application of fungicide for, for tar spot. You have to have a pretty heavy diseased environment, a lot of leaf wetness. So I was on the phone the other day with someone down far southeast Iowa, uh, down in the river bottom, it's irrigated ground, super high yield potential. You know, they sprayed like three, four weeks ago with their first pass of fungicide. So, you know, in that case, I'm like, yeah, let's let's give it a shot. Let's, let's take a look at a second pass. I think that may benefit us. So we've kind of got that going on in corn right now. You know, you mentioned that R4 stage, when, when we start seeing that doe stage and, and just about to move into the, the dent stage, where we are getting closer to harvest, but tar spot, a lot of guys would say, man, if I've had it bad before, I know what it can do. And obviously the damage is worse the earlier it comes, but can still can still be a bad thing here towards the end of the season. The other one has been gray leaf spot, Kurt. We've had a number of guys that have said, man, it's down in the lower part of the canopy. If we happen to get more moisture, if we happen to get more humidity and have those days where the leaves are wet from 10 o'clock at night until 10 o'clock the next morning, uh, that stuff can sure move up a plant in a hurry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just like tar spot, we got the right conditions, and and a lot of us, uh, well, the areas that have been getting rain looks like they're going to continue to get some rain. We're cooling off a little bit. I think we're going to stay humid. So it's all about that leaf wetness. It's the same conditions that drive tar spot, all of our fungal disease actually. So we're seeing gray leaf spot. We do have that chance of it moving up the canopy as well. So again, if we're R three, maybe R four, we're still right on the right kind of at the end where. If it's coming on hard and you've got really good yield potential, uh, it's worth maybe pulling the trigger to help protect some of those bushels. You know, one more thing before we leave the corn topic, and certainly if you want to talk about more things in corn, I'm, I'm absolutely open to that. But corn rootworm beetles, my goodness, there have been so many this year. I, I In fact, I just uh, about an hour ago, I was out by one of our cornfields right on the edge, and I see all these corn rootworm beetles feeding on the edge. We put rootworm uh insecticide down we used a, a double stack uh, rootworm traded hybrid we sprayed foliar at tassel time with insecticide and there's still another batch of rootworm beetles coming man was this the year of the corn rootworm or what yeah we, we've got some serious corn rootworm issues especially when i get up in the northern iowa and southern wisconsin southeast south dakota where we've been dry for several years in a row now, so we've got high survival rate of the larvae, high survival rate of the of the adults. We've got extended diapause going on with our, our northern corn rootworm populations. We're developing resistance to our traits in our western corn rootworm populations. It's kind of this perfect storm where we've just got a ton a ton of pressure. And little buggers, time and time again, corn rootworm has shown that they're able to overcome kind of all of our management practices. So... We really need to be on our toes. I'm telling everyone right now, you need to be scouting. Even if your cornfields are standing up straight and looking good, uh, if you're in these areas that I just mentioned, start go out there and dig some roots. See if you're finding that root pruning. Because if you are, you probably need to rotate into soybeans the next year. Of course, we've got to extend dipaws. That's what, what they do. They extend dipaws. The females lay the eggs and they're dormant for, for two years or they're dormant for a year. Then by the time you rotate back to corn, um, their larvae, the eggs hatch and larvae are feeding on the roots again, so they've overcome that rotation as well. So it's just about scouting right now. Uh, don't don't be complacent with what your root room control is. If you think it's good, uh, yes, again, because I've talked to a lot of farmers where we've had this exact same conversation. Uh, with all these beetles that are out there, the females are laying eggs, so it's probably going to be a, a bigger problem next year. 
Yeah, I'm certainly anticipating that. Looking forward to some new tools coming out like Nerisma and others to try to help us fight these bugs off. Uh, Kurt, turning to soybeans, we're seeing some late season disease pop up in beans. And I know soybeans can keep putting on flowers out to R5.5 or so. So we got a little bit of time here where they're still putting on more more flowers, pods, all that. Uh, And just a few more pods per plant could mean more yield. So as we've gotten some August rain here in a lot of areas, guys are a little more encouraged about doing something else in the soybeans. Yeah, and I've definitely been getting that question. So I got a little bit of a tail, two, two different areas. My areas in northeast Iowa that I cover. I'm getting questions about, hey, I got spider mites. What are my options for treating there? So, uh, But then I go farther south where we are getting rain. And, again, they're seeing some of that disease. They're seeing some cospera. They're seeing some frog eye. Um, um, leery that we might see some thermopsis coming in late like we did in, like, 2021. Uh, so we're kind of setting up. Again, those areas that seen this late tar spot in 2021, we had a lot of that that late season disease and soybeans as well. And so we've got a decent little data set that says if you got, again, again high yield potential in your soybeans, uh, you've already done an R3 application of fungicide. Uh, it, if things are looking good, uh, we've, we've seen some, some nice bumps in yield doing an R5 application as well. But, again, you need to be in that area that's been getting this rain. looks like we're going to continue to get some rain. Uh, I, I think I've been making that recommendation here to some folks. Uh, that want to take a look at that. Like I said, we've got a small data set that looks that looks like that's very promising when we have these these wetter August. Yeah, it, it can sure turn in a hurry. And I know a lot of guys. My brother was talking about this earlier. That well, in June we weren't getting the humidity, we weren't getting the rain, and we weren't thinking we were going to have much of a crop and all that. But here we go. Uh, things are things are turning, and we're seeing some things out there. SDS starting to pop up in some areas. You know, that's one. I I don't know, Kurt. I don't have. The SDS thing, we've got such good solutions that you can put down at planting time. Um, I don't know. I'm frustrated by that one. If if you know that's in the area, it, you only have to have it like once every 10 years to justify doing that treatment every year. Yeah, yeah exactly. A product like Alevo is a seed treatment. Phenomenal on SDS. It's going to control the nematodes as well. Uh, just the, I've, I've, I've done it on my own farm, did the side-by-side. Uh, that was that was a no-brainer. If you feel like your soybean yields are kind of stuck in like that 60 bushel range, uh, if you sample for nematodes and you've been seeing SDS, treat your beans with Olivo. Uh, it, you're going to pick up a bunch of yield pretty pretty quick. Like I said, I, I purchased myself on my own farm several years ago, and I, I I always put that challenge out to growers, especially when I hear that I just can't I can't seem to break through certain yield level in soybeans. If they haven't been doing that. To me, that's, that's almost a no-brainer, so no excuse for that. Yeah, there are just a lot of good options out there to protect our corn and soybean crops. Talking with Kurt Martins here from BASF. Kurt, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. You bet. Well, we'll talk more about corn and soybeans and take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. 
and soybean aphids rain at ridgeback.corteva.us. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. Ant? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Ant herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. And our topic has been and will continue to be fungicide and insecticide applications in corn and soybeans. It's getting towards the end of the season, and that's awesome in many ways. However, there's still time for bugs or disease to impact our crop. That's why we're having the conversation today. Got our friend Kevin Matthews on, farms down in North Carolina and works with the Extreme Ag Group. And Kevin, I know a lot of growers uh, in the Extreme Ag Group are shooting for high yields, and they don't want to give up when they're on, uh, let's just say, third base, rounding the corner, ready to head home and, and score that winning run or that great big crop. We don't want to lose yield right at the end. It really gets painful. Oh, absolutely. And we've seen it happen so many times on our farm over the years. And, you know, the equipment now we have, the options we have, um, it's just amazing how we can get the home plate successfully now. 
let's let's talk uh, about soybeans here first. And and I know you've done a fantastic job on soybeans. I've gotten to be on your farm. I've gotten to see some of your soybean fields. And I, I just remember digging up a plant and starting to count pods. And I, I got tired of counting <laughs> before I got to the end on it. Uh, so how do you do that? You know, beans are still flowering really until, what do you figure, R5.5 or so? We, we got some time here to influence yield. Oh, absolutely. And and it's a systems approach for us. We, you know, we want to protect that bloom uh, to encourage as many pod sets that we can maintain on the plant. And then once we get those pods, then we want to we want to continue to uh, look after those pods. And then with our indeterminates, as you spoke of, you know, you're just blooming continuously, and you don't want to leave nothing on the table. So you got to keep feeding the plant. So when we're making those foliar uh, fungicide applications, we're adding fertility in because it just kind of makes the trip cheaper because you're dividing it out amongst other products and we just pick up extra yield continuously one of the one of the fertility components that we hear a lot about especially when we start talking about 80 plus bushel beans is nitrogen and for for our growers that say man i'm starting to get those 70 80 even higher yields but i want to get to 100 uh, is nitrogen one of the keys? And if so, can you still put some on now, get it into the crop, and make a difference? I, I feel like you can. I also feel like uh, from the research that we've done, when we add the nitrogen into the mix, we're getting easier movement of the other components. It's like they, it's like they're getting a free ride with that nitrogen going in there. So that. That has been a big player for us. We're not afraid to put nitrogen on our soybean plants. Matter of fact, our double crop plants are a little bit small. We was wet. We couldn't get planted on time. So we're actually going to throw some nitrogen to encourage vegetative growth to get them taller and get more node set on them. Well, I know it's it's really hard farming in North Carolina because you don't get 20 below in the winter and kill off lots of stuff like we do up here in the north. So one of those things that doesn't die is <laughs> pretty much every insect so what do you what do you face is it stink bugs late in the season is it something else that comes in and tries to steal your yield right at the end you can pretty much count on stink bugs every year coming in and uh, you know eating your soybean leaves which hurts you know your solar panels collecting that sunlight so you we always have those sometimes they're not at thresholds to spray other times they are the soybean loopers is something you got to watch. They'll come in and feed on them pods, and they can really cause some damage. And it seems like they just kind of pop up out of nowhere, Darren. You just you got to be in that field each week. Um, you know, I walked in one yesterday, and I come out, and I was driving up the road, and I had a worm crawling up my britches leg. And I was like, I didn't see it, but they're definitely yep. there. So you, you got to pay attention. Do you see the stink pot or stink bugs? Uh, piercing into those pods as well. I know I've seen that before where they they just pierce in and just spoil either a whole soybean or even a whole pod. Yeah, we don't see it quite as bad here uh, where I'm at as you would down closer to the coast. And then like Matt and those guys in Arkansas, it's a terrible problem on them. Um, So not quite as bad. Their Japanese beetles, we're definitely going to have issues with those just feeding. But our stink bugs, we're, we just don't have them here as bad, and I hope it stays that way. 
Well, I agree with you. You just have to keep scouting all the way to the end. We we generally say until the leaves are all turning brown, then, then you aren't going to do much else. Then it's more scouting just to see when the field's going to be ready to harvest, making those estimates, uh, at least on our farm. Is it kind of the same thing for you? Yeah, but we we kind of turn ours brown. We we're really heavy on desiccation of our soybeans, so we're in the fields, and as soon as those pods start getting a yellow tint to them, we're uh, we're spraying them, and we're getting them things out before a hurricane comes up through here, or flood, and we you know, gosh, uh, Matt and has worked with us on the um, desiccation, and Rob Deadman different ones, and I love doing that. It's just a great tool. Yeah, yeah, it sure can be, no doubt about that. I'm glad we don't have the hurricanes here. We get we get enough other things to deal with, but uh, but yes, I know that's a that's a bad bad deal when when those days come. Okay, hey, let's switch to corn. Speaking about hurricanes, yeah, you sure don't want to see it when you got ten foot tall corn out there. Uh, one quick question for you: irrigation. When do you quit? We just had a caller in the show here just a couple of days ago, and and he said, "Yep, I'm already I'm, I ran my pivot for the last time," and I'm like, "Really?" And that that seems a little early to to wind things up. Do, do you quit early or do you keep going? No, I I go plum. Sometimes I'll go just a little bit past black layer because I just want to make sure that I didn't miss nothing out there. But I'm definitely I will not terminate it until um, after black layer on corn. Yeah, I I think for for anyone that has the ability to just water half the field and and see for yourself what a difference that can make, I just hear this time and time again uh, from from great growers like you, Kevin, that uh, guys are turning off the water too early. And I realize it's an expense, and in some cases you may have limited water, and and you just don't have a choice that that's all the water you've got. But uh, if you if you can keep those pivots going, uh, okay. So talk to me on corn. Uh, is R4 kind of it for you when you're putting on fungicide, or do you have so much pressure you might even have to go later than R4 in the dose stage? We have had to go later. Uh, we've done some R5 applications when we had southern rust blow up. Um, the most we've ever had to do is three applications. Um, and now that we're doing ground rigs, drones, and using other components, um, we're getting better control we got we got better fungicides as well let me add that we got three mode actions fungicides instead of your your old one and two mode actions and we're just getting better control and we're also learning when to get them on you got to get these fungicides on before the disease is present once you get disease it's kind of like you're just having revenge um, you can save the crop but you're not going to get the yield benefit you would if you had it on earlier yeah, yeah, it, it it's one of those things you just have to keep up with the protection. Like you mentioned, southern rust, and when you've got some of these tough diseases, you, you just can't let it get started in your field. Uh, there, there's still time; it can hurt things. How, how about on the insect side on corn? Do you have many bugs uh, this late in the year, or have you got them kind of under control? Yeah, typically what we see here is so our our wheat is harvested in June. And when we harvest that wheat, the Japanese beetles will jump from the wheat fields to the corn because those fresh, lush silks is out there, and they go clipping them silks. And so that's when we're going to have insect pressure is in June and early July on later planted corn. However, right now I'm in the sprayer today spraying uh, fungicide on corn. That's about R4, R3 to R4, depending on where you are in the field. 
and insects is not an issue right now for us. Yeah, I think back to your point you made on the soybeans, you just always have to keep scouting and you look and you see if you you have anything out there. It's pretty easy when you got a free ride of, hey, I'm already doing a fungicide. I can add in a, a nutrient or I can add in an insecticide if I need those things. And just don't give up on the crop too early. That's the the big takeaway today. Hey, Kevin, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks, uh, thanks for all the advice you've given us through the growing season. Look forward to talking to you again. Well, Dane, uh, Darren, we appreciate you. Appreciate all you guys do for agriculture. You bet. Thank you very much. We're talking today about corn and soybeans and if fungicide and insecticide may still be needed in some of your fields. We're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Corn rootworms are called the billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. effortlessly manage your farm fertility with Verify. Verify takes yield data directly from your combine and instantly generates variable rate fertility maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether it's building soil, balancing nutrition, or maintaining fertility. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Join Verify today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. 
Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio today. I'm Darren Hefty, your broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Sit down to Iowa State right now. We're talking about late season diseases. I've got Allison Robertson on with us right now. Allison, thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Maybe you needed a break from 10-foot-tall Iowa cornfields with uh, pretty high humidity levels right now. Yes. it's Actually, it's it's kind of high humidity today, but it's and it's raining, So, and we need the rain, so it's good. Yeah, we sure do. We sure do. Okay, uh, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of questions about tar spot, so let's just maybe get that one out of the way. Is, is it too yes. late for tar spot to rob yield, or is it something we still need to be concerned about? Um, based on the data from um, across the Midwest, um, you can, as long as the corn's at R3, or so milk stage, or earlier than that, you can still spray. We were actually spraying some corn yesterday, which was just at tasseling. So it was late planted, obviously. But um, So yeah, up until R3, once we reach R4, um, maybe the benefits of the, that fungicide and the effect of that disease, is, is, it's not going to hurt yield so much. Well, that's that's good. I, I hope for growers who haven't seen tar spot yet that uh, if it does come, it comes so late that that isn't going to cause a big yes. issue. But we're hearing about other diseases. One of them I, I saw you were addressing on social media was curvillaria. Uh, we don't have that this far north, do we? No, no, that's a very southern disease. So um, yeah, not. Um, I'm trying to think as. But the furthest north, I think it's been reported in Kentucky. But, yeah, for us guys, even further north, no curvularia here. So <laughs> we've got something to be thankful about. Yeah, we've got enough diseases to worry about right now. But uh, for, for yes. growers in the south, why is that one so tough? Um, I think it's tough just because a lot of the hybrids are kind of, of susceptible to it. And so when it comes in, curvularia looks identical to eye spot, which is what we see up here in the north. And um, so if you can imagine just your leaves covered with tiny little eye spots, you can imagine they're not photosynthesizing very in- efficiently and therefore they're not filling the grain very well. So um, I would say probably just susceptible hybrids down there. And then, of course, the weather that, you know, warm, humid conditions that favor infection. Hey, talk to us about hybrids. And I know you get a chance to work with, with the major seed companies out there and breeders about uh, different disease tolerance levels in the hybrids. I've had a lot of farmers say to me, really the whole time I've been farming, oh man, the hybrids are so much better than they were 10 years ago. And now today, farmers are saying they're so much better than they were 10 years ago. Well, I remember what they were like 10 years ago. I kind of agree. I, I think the hybrids have gotten better. Do you see the same thing? Yes, I think that um, definitely the hybrids have, have got better. Um, I think occasionally a hybrid might sneak through that probably isn't as good as um, for resistance to disease as it, it should be. And I think a lot of that just has to be that we haven't had the right conditions for a disease to develop and then all of a sudden we might have good conditions and then the disease will develop and, and everyone's like, oh, that hybrid's a little bit more susceptible than we thought it was. So then they pull it off the market. But 
yeah, I mean, we have very good resistance in, a, in our hybrids um, to most of the diseases that we're dealing with. Yeah, that's very helpful for us as farmers, and and I know you talk about this a lot. You got to know your hybrids and and know at yes. least what's known about them. Sure, something could always sneak up on you, but they've got pretty good yes. ratings now on northern corn leaf blight and gray leaf spot and some yes. of these common diseases. Where do you see that we're missing? Where where are we missing out on? disease tolerance in our hybrids. I personally feel like Goss's wilt tolerance, we've gotten much better. I feel like Northern and Gray Leaf Spot, we've gotten better. Uh, I know Tar Spot's one, the seed companies will even say we aren't good enough there. Are are there some other diseases that you say, you know what, I think they need to get working on this a little more? Um, Not so much in corn. Um, I think that I agree with you that, you know, everything's pretty good on on corn at the moment for, for those diseases. Um, I think the big ones on soybean are um, soybean cyst nematode and um, Phytophthora um, stem rot. I, that's yeah. where I see more of an issue in both of those because we're relying on the same resistance. We've been relying on the same resistance in those two pathosystems for the last, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, and the pathogens are evolving resistance to that. So that's where I see a need. Okay, let's talk about Phytophthora a little bit because we do see late season Phytophthora popping up in fields. I know you've been seeing that too. And man, Nebraska's really had a lot of that this year too. Not to pick on those guys. They've they've had drought for several years. They're just happy they've gotten a little bit of rain now, but unfortunately they got some plants that are dying from Phytophthora out there. Uh, Talk to us about that one. You mentioned uh, we don't really have new sources of resistance in the soybean varieties. I know we're working out with seed treatments, but they only last so long. Yes, so seed treatments only last for a couple of weeks after planting, right? And then after that, we're very reliant on the on the resistance in those plants. And to Phytophthora soji, there's two types of resistance. One of them is a, a resistance gene called the RPS gene. And so a lot of our varieties have um, a couple of, of genes in them. So they would be 1A, 1C, 1K, and 6, and 3A. And um, so what we found in a survey that we did a few years ago, and this was in Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, Michigan, um, Wisconsin is doing a survey right now, is that we found that most of the um, Phytophthora population has evolved resistance to those um, 1A and 1K genes that are used in like 95% of soybean varieties. And then... um, we don't have as much resistance that's developed to 3A. Um, and that's because 3A is hardly ever, and 6, those um, resistance genes are hardly ever used in commercial varieties. And so we don't have that resistance there. Um, the other thing about Phytophthora is there's also this background resistance or field tolerance, if you want. And um, I don't think that um, the companies have a very good handle on how to evaluate their varieties for that partial resistance, that field tolerance. And so that'll, um, so sometimes we'll have, you know, a 1C or a 1K gene be overcome by the population in that field. And then that variety doesn't have very good field tolerance. And therefore, um, it just dies there in the field, right? Whereas if you've got good field tolerance, it'll kind of make it through the growing season and at least put on a few pots. So that was a very long-winded 
Um, no, it was great. And I can't remember your question. Well, anymore. no, that was great. When we look at, at that late season phytophthora, like you mentioned, we've got field yes. tolerance. The ratings you think are a little flawed. There isn't really a standardized yes. system that's that's excellent at yeah. identifying that. And then you look at the RPS yes. genes, and we're seeing more companies stacking uh, genes up. But like you said, there just aren't enough varieties of those stacks. And, and some of the stacks, yes. like if you had a 1A, 1K, a stack. Well, <laughs> neither one of them is Not doing the best be right helpful. now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, the, so, other, the other thing, I, Allison, is yeah. we're seeing some fields, and I know we've had some pictures sent in to us, uh, uh, particularly South Dakota on this one, where with Phytophthora, a lot of times you see that chocolatey brown coming up from the bottom, but we're also yeah. seeing some northern stem canker this year where it kind of okay. looks like Phytophthora, but uh, yes. starts out a little higher up on the plant. So there are some lookalikes yeah. on a lot of these soybean diseases. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and you're right. And the easiest way to tell them apart is to remember that Phytophthora lives in the soil and infects from the soil. So that brown um, lesion will come from the soil upwards, whereas with the stem canker, that's infecting um, through the nodes. And so that's why you'll see that the browning lesion on the top of the stem. But if you look down at the ground level, you still have nice green, healthy stem. So that's how I tell those always tell those two apart i just look at the look at soil level right is there a green stem there if there is then i'm probably looking at northern stem canker well definitely tough diseases to fight out there in soybeans we, we've been saying all through the show yes. keep scouting your fields we're seeing some things pop yes. up late uh, and follow allison robertson on social media as well she posts a lot of great photos and info about some of these diseases allison thank you so much we really appreciate having you on and, and good luck thanks for all the work you do in the summer stay tuned we'll be right back the success of next year's harvest begins with this year's harvest Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. 360 Chain Roll is a simple replacement stock roll for your corn head. Chain Roll doubles the rate of stock breakdown. It crimps and cuts tough stalks to boost microbial activity and speed breakdown. And compared to chopping heads, it reduces emergence issues in next spring's crop. See 360 Chain Roll in action at 360yieldcenter.com. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about fungicide and insecticide applications in corn and soybeans. And, you know, the one thing we haven't gotten to is how do you get great coverage? How do you get this stuff to work? Because fungicide, you need awesome coverage if you want protection. And honestly, the insecticides now, too, many of them need really good coverage if you want to control the bugs quickly and effectively. So we got our friend Nick Flights on right now with Pentair to talk about that a little bit. Nick, how you doing? Hey, Darren, doing pretty good today. Thanks well, for having me on. We're going to give you the easy questions. We've got great big tall soybeans and great big tall corn that are fully canopied with great big leaves. How in the world are you going to get coverage through that to control bugs and give us disease protection? Oh, uh, yes, yeah, this is one of my favorite topics, actually. And, you know, it's a little bit counterintuitive. So, you know, a lot of the prevailing theories or wisdom out there is use really fine droplets and really high pressure. And we really try and blast it on and push down into that, that canopy. And, you know, there's a little bit, it's a little bit counterintuitive. And in that line of thinking, uh, you know, there's some merit there, but too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, right? And um, really to get good coverage and canopy penetration, we've got to have a little bit bigger of a droplet spectrum. Um, those really fine droplets. Do have two two issues with them. One is mass and velocity. They really lose their velocity coming out of a spray nozzle within six inches to one foot. You know, if we're talking about really fine droplets. So say you're using a basic flat fan nozzle, really high pressure. Um, you got a lot of really fine droplets to try and get good coverage. They just don't have any mass to carry that energy, even at high pressure. So that's when we kind of tend to see that fog and things suspended in the air and it's not getting into the canopy. Uh, and then the other thing is evaporation. Um, and a gentleman asked. Ooh, might have just lost Nick there. He's uh, really important. Oh, hey, hey Nick, uh, you, you're, you cut out just one second there. But uh, before you get into that evaporation talk, I just wanted to say one one comment here, too. Uh, I know for us as farmers, a lot of times we sit around in the farm shop or at the coffee shop or wherever it is and talk about these things. And we talk about what our thoughts are that, man, I think this is what's going on. And I just wanted to say this for our listeners. If you haven't had a chance to meet Nick or if you don't know who Nick is, 
Nick is one of those guys that actually is researching this and he's got great data and great observations. They're actually watching what these tiny little droplets are doing and trying to learn from that and adjust and make the best possible spray application equipment for you. And there are a few people out there in the industry that are doing a great job on this. Nick is one of those guys. So when he's talking about this, that, you know what, there is a difference between these super fine droplets and maybe more of a medium sized droplet. Uh, he's not saying it because it's going to make him more money. He's saying it because this is what's going to actually work better for you. Okay, go ahead, Nick, with the evaporation side of that as well. I appreciate that vote of confidence there. Um, well, so I would, hey, there. Nick, I was talking to Janelle before you came on, and I said, oh, man, I'm so excited Nick's going to be on here because he is working his tail off to try to figure these things out for us, so I do appreciate it. Yeah, so there, there's something called Delta T, and there was a gentleman at your show last week that came up and asked me to explain it to him. And it's really important this time of year. And really what it is it is a measure of spraying suitability. Uh, and it's something everyone, I encourage you to go Google or Bing, whatever your preferred search engine, look up Delta T, T is in Tom, and there's a chart in there. And most of our fungicide and insecticide spraying is later in the season. It's in July, it's in August, when we have the hottest temperatures of the year and sometimes the driest weather. And so when you think about fungicide spraying and that, I want you to remember that because when it's really hot, when it's sunny, when it's windy, or when it's dry, there's a lot of evaporative pressure on these spray droplets. And take spraying a, a corn crop. There's a long way we're expecting those droplets to fall to at least get down to the ear leaf, even a little bit lower if we can. In that long time of flight and fall, if these droplets are really fine, say like the, the diameter of your hair and smaller, they're not going to make it. They're going to reach research has shown that they're going to evaporate into the air before they make it. So kind of like you said, a medium sized droplet, or even if it's really hot or dry, a coarse sized droplet is even better that I like to see. That's going to give you that kind of mass and weight to, to fall down deep into the canopy when you, you're later in season and you got that crop canopied over and it's going to resist evaporation too um, in the hotter, drier months of the year. Well, there's a lot of things going on here late in the season, and you don't want an insect or a disease to rob your yield here as you get close to the end. Uh, Nick, any last tips for guys as they're they're thinking about, man, can I do it with a ground rig? Can I do it with a drone? Can I do it with an airplane or a helicopter? Do you see big differences with them, or is there anything else you want to leave us with? You know, there's a lot of work going on there. Um, the, the jury's kind of still out. I've seen some compelling data on drone spraying. An aircraft spraying, but I got to be honest with you, I'm, I, I like the ground rig. I like the water volume. You know, if you can put out 12, 15, 20 gallons of water, you're going to get good coverage. If you pair that with a good nozzle, I really like an incline type nozzle for fungicide spraying. It's like from Pentair High Pro, the 3D or the Guardian Air Twin are two really good options. Those incline spray uh, patterns can really help us. Uh, improve the uniformity of our coverage in a crop canopy. Uh, so those are the two things I'd really, really encourage you to look at if you're doing a ground rig, high water volume, moderate pressure, and an incline spray pattern. Great tips, as always, from Nick Flights with Pentair. Uh, if you're looking at different nozzles for each application, 
Uh, Nick has helped us put together the Ag PhD spray tip guides. You can look up different products that you're thinking of spraying. We've got recommendations in there for which tips will work best, which spray pressure ranges, and those types of things. Uh, And you left us with one other little nugget there. Look up Delta T, see what that is, and then look at the weather stations close to your farm, too, to see how that can influence the performance of your spray. Hey, Nick, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me on. You all have a good day. You as well. Been talking about fungicide and insecticide applications on today's show, but we have some questions that came in for the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! First one comes from Jacob up in North Dakota. He said, you guys talk a lot about strip tillage on your show and, and what you're doing on your farm. It's something I've been interested in for a few years, and I've been trying to gather as much information as I can. And most of the people I hear talking about strip till are talking about doing that for corn. But do you guys do any strip till ahead of soybean planting? Whether it's for applying fertilizer or just tillage, I'm curious uh, if you do anything on your farm, if you've heard others doing something like that, and if yes, what are the key benefits you've seen? Hey, thanks, Jacob. We really appreciate the the question there. You know what? Strip tillage in front of soybeans works great. Uh, if you've got corn stalk residue out there, we personally on our farm, what we like to do is we use a chopping corn head to size up that residue so it's easier to move around. And yeah, we do like strip strip till after corn when we're going to put soybeans in and then we like putting fertilizer in there and here's why soybeans have about one-fifth the root mass of corn so corn has five times more root mass than soybeans so it makes a lot of sense if we can put fertility where the soybean roots can find it right in that strip till band uh, we've just had really good luck with that we used to do a lot of 15 inch rows and we saw a yield advantage on our farm with 15 inch row soybeans versus 30s but when we went to strip till and 30 inch rows we were able to to match up to what we were doing in the 15s by just delivering fertility there for the beans so i think it's a great way to go personally and and you know how i feel about it on corn i I really like that approach as well banding that fertility in those strips We'll do that in the fall. We'll put P and K out there, sometimes some micros in there too, and then deal with nitrogen in the spring. It's been a nice nice system. And then, of course, hey, you're in North Dakota, and you know how it goes. Some years you just can't get the crop in that you want, or you decide, hey, the market's moved, and I'm going to plant something a little different. Uh, you can still switch around and do that too with the strip till. You've got a lot of options. Hey, thanks, Jacob. Really appreciate the question. Had some feedback here from Patrick. We were talking about the different reproductive stages in corn, and and uh, as luck would have it, we were talking about that on today's show. How late is too late to treat with fungicides and insecticides? And and we heard a lot of R five or R four, even a little from Kevin Matthews into R five. But Patrick's comment was, "Hey, really appreciated your four minute video on corn reproductive stages, uh, and." That's uh, It's great footage. Really appreciate the info. Hey, thanks. We really appreciate that. Thanks for watching the video, too. We really appreciate that, Patrick. We do put a lot of information out there, so we, we always appreciate hearing back that people are finding it useful for what they're doing. We had fun talking about fungicide, insecticide, and disease and insects in corn and soybeans on today's program. If you ever have a question, just send it to us, radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.